Hello, and welcome to Gateway to the Left. I am your host, Donald McBee, recording from St. Louis, Missouri. This is episode two. This show is a political podcast where I talk about topics I find interesting from a left-wing perspective. Just a warning, explicit language may be used. So I wanted to talk about a topic that I've observed online for quite a few years, that of grievance culture. It's not really called that by anyone but me, but this is a theme I'm seeing again and again, and it can be traced all the way back to the 1980s, if not earlier. It can also be called the right-wing outrage machine. However, not all of the outrage originates from the right-wing itself. And even though you can see it most vividly in the headlines of conservative media, which is chock full of perceived slights made against mostly men. And that's where I want to put my focus, on the frail male ego. Because one thing to make clear, whether it is complaints made by the moral majority in the 1980s, or the Christian coalition in the 1990s, or today's Breitbart, or the Daily Wire... Most of these grievances are hyperbolic, sometimes completely fabricated, and usually rely on inaccurate sound bites to propagate. Think about those chain emails from Grandma back in the day. I bring this up because on Twitter I found a comment or two from Matt Walsh, a conservative Catholic who writes for the Daily Wire. He wrote a response to a tweet about a man who took his wife's name as his married name by claiming that this man is unmanly, emasculated. Now, I find this interesting on a couple levels. The first being, why post this at all? This man was posting about a personal decision that literally affects no one but his most immediate family and people he pays bills to. And yet, Matt Walsh decided to project his extremely narrow interpretation of masculinity onto this individual. There was quite a bit of pushback on his Twitter feed but also quite a bit of support, most of which seems to revolve around tradition as if that were a good argument. Some even argued that there were biblical grounds for men to not take a woman's last name, which is ridiculous considering that surnames or family names didn't even exist in uh, biblical times. So he created a grievance out of thin air by complaining about a non-issue that doesn't affect either him nor his followers. He decided to insult this person from his perspective and propagate that insult and grievance to his fans. I posted that I thought his tweet displayed an insecurity he has about himself. I stand by that observation. There's no reason to get worked up about a man taking his wife's last name, except through an extremely parochial view of family and marriage. But that's the point. Matt Walsh views such practices as this as an attack on his culture and masculinity. However, no one is attempting to make it mandatory for men to take wives' names or even telling women to keep their names, which is another thing he has a problem with, no surprise. But of course, he's but one example of a larger culture I'm illustrating here, and that is an unfounded grievance culture that seems endemic among men's rights activists, anti-SJWs, and anti-feminists. Most of these people are, in general, cisgender straight men, One of the most common issues that seem to crop up are extremely hyperbolic reactions to criticisms, usually from feminists, of aspects of behavior that some men engage in, or aspects of our larger uh, patriarchal uh, culture or subcultures that favor or coddle straight men at the expense of women. 
This seems to be particularly true within certain subcultures and groups that are overwhelmingly male or perceived to be that way, such as the skeptic atheist movement, gamer subculture, geek culture, etc. My first big brush with this was about six years ago when the atheist skeptic community blew up over the Rebecca Watson video and how awful she was for, well, all sorts of things. A lot of them made up. You can look it up yourself, including the original video, where she made a short comment, comment about one experience with a guy in an elevator in the middle of the night that creeped her out. And basically all she said was, hey guys, don't do this, it seems creepy. Don't invite women that you don't know that well up to a room to talk for co or for coffee. That's it. And, of course, many in the atheist skeptic community decided to go fucking crazy over this shit and created the so-called elevator gate scandal. It was literally a throwaway line in one of her videos, and she has had many. This has pretty much divided that community ever since, and in my opinion, illuminated the rot within. To give another example, years ago, I was a big fan of Thunderfoot, an atheist YouTuber who used to post videos on science, evolution, and atheism. Being an atheist and skeptic myself, I gravitated towards his channel and several others. However, he started rebranding himself into an anti-feminist reactionary around the time of Elevator Gate. Then he started obsessing over Anita Sarkeesian over so-called Gamergate which is another made-up controversy that can best be summed up as a bunch of gamers who went crazy over a bitter ex-boyfriend of a game developer who happened to be a woman. That's it. Because of that, we apparently have Donald Trump now. No fucking kidding. Or at least, that's how Steve Bannon tells it. Today, it seems to manifest in right-wing anti-feminist and anti-SJW circles with obsessions about activities of certain feminists, and their latest, latest craziness is obsessing over soy? Apparently, the latest claim is that soy, as a food, causes men to produce estrogen and, or estrogens in the soy, and therefore they become feminists or SJWs or emasculated. I'm not sure how that works. It fails. It's a failure of both biology and behavior, psychology. It's a failure all around to even claim that. It's pure nuttiness. And it appears this is just a latest symptom. There are a lot of men out there that are frightened of a truly egalitarian society that would lead to them being no longer considered masculine. Never mind the fact that masculinity itself is culture dependent and femininity, masculinity, they're not clearly defined as it is even within our culture. You can label almost anything masculine or feminine. Uh, so instead, they cling to negative stereotypes of masculinity, such as aggression, anger, and they, when people criticize those, as they should, being antisocial behaviors, these men then go on the defense and attack those as attacking all men. That's their perception, is that this is an attack on all men, when it couldn't be for further from the truth. Um, but really, why does this matter? Uh, all I can say is that internet life seems to affect so-called real life in many real ways. This perpetual self-feeding and self-sustaining grievance culture has led to over-death and rape threats of many prominent people. 
the perpetuation of conspiracy theories and violent fantasies, and sometimes leads to violence offline in the real world. So this segues nicely into my first story, which is from the Washington Post and relates to what I'm talking about. A Republican candidate for Senate, Cortland Sykes, is trying to win the Republican nomination to try to unseat Claire McCaskill in Missouri. So Sykes posts a statement on Facebook, which is a response from a St. Louis Post-Dispatch Q&A about women's rights. Here are some of what he said about his fiance, and I quote, I want to come home to a home-cooked dinner at six every night, one that she fixes and one that I expect one day to have my daughters learn to fix after they become traditional homemakers and family wives, end quote. This isn't even the worst of it. He has said that radical feminists have crazed ideas of womanhood that they made up in their snake-filled heads. Oh, and he doesn't want his potential daughters to grow up as, and I quote, career-obsessed banshees who forego home life and children and happiness of family to become nail-biting, manophobic, hell-bent feminist she-devils, end quote. There is so much more in the article that I can go into. He even supposedly walks back some of his comments. But I will say this. This guy apparently is endorsed by Steve Bannon, is a carpetbagger from Arkansas, and in a crowded Republican field is not likely to win the nomination. Oh, and he's a misogynistic piece of shit. But on a lighter note, here's another funny story. And a recent internet blow-up that is, again, a made-up controversy of this so-called masculine grievance culture. And that is, Reba McIntyre is the new Colonel Sanders. And I'll be honest, I frankly don't care about this. What I do care about are those fragile males out there that are going fucking crazy on Twitter and elsewhere about a woman being Colonel Sanders. It's apparently a, an attack on their identity. To give an example, Mark Dice on Twitter writes this, and I quote, So... KFC's Colonel Sanders is transgender now? These leftists and their cultural Marxism is out of control. They are determined to destroy the human race. End quote. The hyperbole here is just precious. We don't want to destroy the human race, just the white race. But I digress. He also seems typical of the fragile men who need to defend themselves against country singers or something. I don't know. That's... My assumption based on his tweet, uh, I'll go ahead and put a link uh, to the tweet in my call notes. Uh, Colonel Sanders is a character with a particular look. Reba pulls it off beautifully. What else fucking matters? It looks like this was done to promote a new flavor of chicken, and they wanted a popular country music singer to promote it. The more cynical thought I have thinks that KFC also wants to skirt controversy because it sells. This is capitalism in a nutshell. I'm even promoting them without getting paid. What's up with that shit? Fuck it. KFC is my kryptonite. I love the shit even though I know it's shit. You can have my KFC bucket when you pry it for my cold, greasy hands. Next up is a recent interview from Vice News of Jordan B. Peterson, who, for those who don't know, is a Canadian college professor who appears to be removed from reality. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm displaying my bias here, but seriously, I'll link to the interview, but also to his Twitter feed. 
he's interesting to say the least. Uh, he is a psychology professor who tries to use Jungian archetypes to support traditional sexual relations and Christianity, at least on a moral level. Yet, for some reason, he's now a darling of the New Center, trademark, and the rational card-carrying skeptics. He makes the claim that women and men cannot work together in the workplace without there being sexual harassment, going so far as to say that women who wear makeup are signaling for sexual advances. He seems to be entirely removed from the idea that women may wear makeup because they want to look good to everyone, not just to signal to men that they are ready to fuck. Just as men may want to dress up nice and neat just to feel good about themselves, it can be an ego boost in itself, an end to itself. Uh, he reduces women to, sex to sexual caricatures, not real people with various wants and needs. Additionally, he seems so far removed from the real wor world, and I hate using anecdotal evidence, but I've been working with women in the workplace for over two decades now, and it works out fine. Even dated co-workers without causing scandal or committing sexual harassment. It's not hard, Mr. F Peterson. You don't play grab-ass or make sexual comments to co-workers unprompted. You ask them out. If they say no, act like a fucking normal person and don't make an issue of it in the future. What happened to being professional? Are straight men to be treated like fucking animals with no control over their urges? This is what is most fascinating about his view here. He is both a misandrist and misogynistic at the same time. It's damn near misanthropic. Hell, he's even wrong about the time periods. He claims that men and women have been working together for only 40 years. It's been a hell of a lot longer than that. Hell, if you look at uh, ancient history in some agrarian and hunter-gatherer societies, there was some semblance of equality and division of labor. Same thing for those societies that uh, persist closer to the modern day. He seems to be the classic example of an academic living in an academic bubble. While most people live under a different environment, one where we have to work eight hours a day for wages to allow us to eat and have a roof over our heads, and we have very little choice as to who we work with, and in many cases, it is roughly an accurate cross-section of the population. I've worked retail, customer service, and tech support my entire life. Women are pretty fairly represented here, as in workplaces either are about half women or even majority women. And frankly, when issues do crop up when it comes to sexual harassment, it's invariably due to a small minority of people, usually men, that are repeat offenders that end up moving from workplace to workplace, exhibiting the same behavior over and over again. They get complaints filed against them. They get fired. They get rehired somewhere else because they didn't ask enough questions. And rinse and repeat. This seems to indicate a pattern, though. And it's not that women are dressing or wearing makeup provocatively. It's that a small minority of people cannot keep it in their pants. That's on the harasser, not on the victims of the harassment. I also want to take a stab at the claim that he's making in this video that relations between men and women are deteriorating rapidly at this moment in time. My question is, where is his evidence for this? When were relations better? When sexual harassment was acceptable behavior? When rape was even less reported and prosecuted than it is today? 
we are slowly seeing a shift in society, that's true, where male privilege is being openly questioned, confronted, and set aside so that women can have an equal place at the table. Where we can take a multifaceted approach to equality without excluding anyone, and for some reason this terrifies some men. I don't honestly understand why. Also, as an aside, I'm not a fan of the interviewer in this case. I know this isn't really supposed to be a debate, but he really should have openly challenged this idea of Peterson's about the deteriorating relations. It was really a sticking point of his argument and also where that argument falls apart. So while recording my podcast, an incident occurred in uh, Parkland, Florida, where in this high school there, a former student, from my understanding, a 19-year-old man, uh, and apparently an admitted white nationalist, walked into the school with an AR-15, pulled the fire alarm to draw everyone out into the hallways, and started shooting at students and faculty. By the end, he dropped all of his, uh, his weapons and backpacks and everything into a stairwell and snuck out of the school as if he was one of the fleeing students. By the end of it, he has killed 14 students, some, uh, some as young as 14 years old, and three faculty. This is an unacceptable situation in this country, yet it is to be expected. There has been a school shooting occurring in this country almost every day this year so far. And, it, and if you expand out beyond schools, out into the streets, there has been a shooting every day. Hundreds of people in major metro areas are killed every year. Uh, due to murders, uh, robberies gone wrong, so to speak. But the point of the matter is, is that we have a gun problem in this country. And no, you can't just simply attribute this to, you know, lack of mental health faculties, even though that is an issue. But the fact of the matter is, is that most people who have mental health issues end up being victims, not perpetrators of violent crime. And the fact of the matter is, is that in many cases, there is nothing in place that wouldn't severely violate our civil rights, our actual civil rights, in uh, mental health screenings. That is a diversion. It is not touching on the actual issue. And the issue is this. People sometimes are violent. Even sane people. Sometimes they plan for it. Sometimes they attempt to actually commit those crimes. The, this happens everywhere in the world. The big difference is, at least for most of the developed world, in the United States, that type of person can go out and get a gun and then live out whatever fantasy they have or whatever grievance they have they can go out and shoot dozens of people. We have a gun problem, and that gun problem is the accessibility and availability of these firearms. We have 
300 plus million guns in circulation in this country and we have you know a little over 300 million people there's enough there are enough guns in this country to arm every single man woman and child here and yet this country is far more dangerous than even china that is ridiculous we are far less safe because of the circulation of guns you can try to control for everything else. For example, uh, controlling for everything, you're as likely to be a victim of a robbery in London as you are in New York. You're 17 more times more likely to be killed in New York. Guess by what type of weapons? What class of weapons? You know, uh, compare our school attacks to the ones in China. China had a rash of school attacks. Um... Going, you know, from 2010 to 2017, you know how many people died? 25 total in seven years. Over 100 were injured, but the fact is that they were injured, and many of them, most of them, were able to make a full recovery. Guns are different. Guns are designed to kill people. There is no recourse for that. You cannot fight off a gun attack successfully. In most cases, it is very, very rare for you to be able to get away from that unscathed. And guns allow a single person to murder many people with only a point and shoot. That's all they have to do. It's as simple as using a mouse on a keyboard. Point and click? Well, this is point and shoot. Anyone can do it. And with some of these guns, you know, the, some of the semi-autos and uh, automatics, you can spray enough bullets in the air, you're going to hit something. And I will not pretend to say that I am an expert on guns. I don't give a shit about the difference between a clip and a magazine. To be honest, I find that irrelevant. What is the use of these guns? Should you use an AR-15 for self-defense or for hunting? I don't see why in either case. You have a gun that shoots a small bullet. Let's say you live in an apartment. That's a great way to endanger your neighbors. Those walls aren't bulletproof. You want to use that gun to shoot deer? Well, that seems sporting. Why don't you just keep shooting the thing with like 20 rounds at once? It's a ridiculous situation that we're in. People cling to their guns in this country. We have a toxic, poisonous gun culture. There are people that idolize the gun as if it is a bulwark against tyranny, which is a ridiculous argument, and it has been since at least 1864. You want to fight against uh, government oppression? Fine. Get a tank. But until you can actually fund an army, shut up about it. And you want to go sporting and all that stuff? Fine. Use a bolt-action gun. You don't need a gun that shoots 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 rounds a minute. One that shoots one a minute should do. After all, I'm assuming you'd be a good shot if you're good at it. If it's a hobby you've been doing for years, that's all you would need. So, I mean, I'm just rambling on here. This is completely unscripted. And to be honest, I'm just pissed off at this. The excuses that are made by the
these people that are obsessed with the Second Amendment and so-called gun rights. And I'm like, look, what works in other countries will work here, but only if we're willing to actually put our money where our mouth is. And money where our mouth is, here's an idea. Ban the sales of guns. Do a gradual, you know, let's do it gradually. Let's start with the assault weapon ban. You know, people keep talking about that. Okay, let it, let's do an assault weapon ban and buyback program that's federally funded. The buyback program is we will buy the guns from the public. You know, this is the government. Buying the guns from the public, no questions asked, whether they're registered, unregistered, or if there's something that's found in someone's basement. Who cares? The government will then take those guns, melt them down, make paperweights or something or anything but another gun out of it. And just continue doing that. Make sure it's fully funded and start with the assault weapons. That's fine, but we shouldn't end there. You know, these assault rifles, these semi-automatic rifles, let's just call them that. You know, semi-automatic rifles should be banned from public use. That's a given. But there are only a small minority of the actual gun deaths responsible in this country. The large, vast majority are from handguns. And no one talks about this. They always talk about gun control, but they always talk about the semi-automatic weapons, the semi-automatic rifles. But you can't hide one of those in your pants. If you're going to go rob a convenience store, you're not going to go in there with an AR-15 unless you're coming in strapped and loaded with a body armor and just going crazy. No. Nine times out of ten, someone's going to go in there with, you know, a revolver or a Glock or, you know, just, you know, they'll be coming in with a 1911. They'll come with whatever they can afford or whatever they can get that's easily concealable. And then they'll pull that out. And to be honest, that gun can be nearly as deadly as an AR-15 in a, in a confined area. You know, rifles are good for distance shooting. And the big advantage and the reason why these guns are popular for mass shooters right now is because of ease of accessibility. These things are usually easier to get than uh, handguns. Handguns have slightly more restrictions in many states, including Florida. Um, but also because they, have, they do have larger... Uh, rounds. They can carry many, many more bullets than a revolver or a, a semi-automatic pistol can. And like I said before, I'm no expert on these guns. It just seems to me that the circulation of weapons, the amount of weapons we have just floating around in this country is ridiculous. And it's both legal and illegal purchases. This, the shooter in Florida, and I'm not even going to ding to even just talk about his name. The man does not deserve it. He doesn't, he deserves to be stricken from the record. He deserves to be an unperson. I mean, what a piece of shit. But the fact of the matter is, is that he bought his gun legally. There were warning signs. He was on the internet. He apparently had violent fantasies. He espoused views that could at the very least be considered extremely problematic and I'm understating that by a factor of 50 easy it's a ridiculous situation there are solutions but our politicians we have no leadership 
We have Donald Trump as president. This is a man who's more concerned with himself. He's too narcissistic to even register what is happening in Florida and around the country when it comes to gun violence. Instead, we have spineless politicians such as him who will do whatever the NRA says. And I will be honest, the NRA is a small organization, but their influence is outsized because while they only give a little bit of money to each one of these politicians in their back pocket, they give something a lot more, and that is activism. They are excellent, and I'll give them props for this. They're excellent at direct action. They, When they tell their members to call someone because of some you know, some type of gun control thing is happening in some state office somewhere. Thousands of people all of a sudden will call that office. They are really, really good at organizing. Something that the left needs to learn about better. We need to be better at this. We need a counter organization to them that is just as good and just as passionate for protecting the lives of every citizen. Without conceding this false narrative of individual right to own firearms. And people always say, oh, well, you need them for protection. Guess what? Having a gun in your home increases the likelihood that you become a victim of gun crime. And nine times out of ten, the gun involved in that gun crime against you is your own. People seem to don't realize that. There were studies done years ago that pointed in this direction just slightly. And, of course, the federal government was like, oh, no, you know, organizations such as CDC should not be funded to be allowed to um, examine gun use as a public health issue. Because the some of the results, while uh, some of them are still out there, they're tentative. I'll be honest, they're tentative. But they seem to point in the direction that guns are not useful in protecting people's lives. We always love those, uh, you know, the American public always loves those antidotes of, oh, well, you know, such and such uh, person uh, shot a home invader and all that stuff. But that's a vast minority of actual shootings. Most shootings occur when there's an innocent victim and a shooter. Or... You have two people shooting at each other. And then you have bystanders that get hit. I mean, we hear about stories like that. You know, once, twice a week, somewhere in this country, there is some bystander getting hit by a stray bullet somewhere. Fired by a uh, perpetrator of a violent crime or a cop. It's ridiculous. We have a drug problem. Well, we have a drug problem too, but that's actually related to the war on drugs. That's a different issue. That's me misstating things, but we do have a gun problem here, and I am sick to death of it. Um, I don't know what else I could say, except for I do think that the Australian model might be ideal for the United States. It could be adapted here. Uh, I already hinted at it. Basically, ban the sales of certain classes of medications, and as we ban them, add them into a buyback program where we end up destroying the ones that are in circulation. And, of course, any of them that are caught uh, in possession of people illegally would be confiscated and destroyed. Now, like I said, I'm not interested in getting rid of uh, your trusty bolt-action uh, 
rifle or that, you know, Mossberg Defender that you're using to protect yourself from would-be burglars. I don't care about those. Those guns, in general, are too impractical to use in crime. In general. I mean, it does occur, but it's like 4 to 7% of uh, all crimes. I would... I want to mitigate as much as possible the vast majority of gun deaths. And the same thing holds true for suicides as well. If you're going to... You know, most people that want to commit suicide, it's usually on the spur of a moment. Very rarely is it really deeply thought out. And those that survived, a lot of them admit that they regret that they attempted it. But the thing that's interesting is this. Most suicide attempts fail when they don't involve firearms. That's part of the reason why you're much more likely to be a victim of your own gun than anything else. Why? Because you're more likely to use it on yourself. Removing guns from the homes of Americans will save lives, including their own. And that's all I can say about it. It seems reasonable to me. You might agree or disagree. To be honest, I don't care. This is my opinion. This has been my opinion for many, many years. And nothing has really changed it. In fact, the more I think about it, the more hardened I become on this issue. Um, many, many other countries are ones that outright ban most classes of firearms. And they are not despotic shitholes. Unlike what people think. I wouldn't mind living in Canada. I wouldn't mind living in Britain or Denmark or Germany. And many of these places have extremely strict uh, gun control laws. Uh, much, much stricter than the United States. They don't view them as something that they have a right to. They're not horrible places to live. Um, compare that to a place like Yemen that has the second highest gun deaths, and of course, damn near everyone there can get a gun. It's ridiculous. There seems to be a strong correlation that the availability of firearms leads to an increase in death. It seems logical. Uh, so, I'm done. I'm done. Well, I think after that um, rant, which by the time of this recording I recorded a few days ago, I wanted to say that while it is a little off the rails, it is something I truly and sincerely believe. Um, hope it didn't detract too many people from uh, following or listening to this podcast. And for those who stick around, I thank you sincerely. Uh, I did want to plug my blog. I do have one, and I'm going to be updating it a lot more frequently. Um, just began to ramp up, and I do apologize for the delay in uh, releasing the second episode, uh, part of the issue is that the beginning of the year is very difficult for me on many different levels, and a lot of things occurred in the past couple months that caused delays. I don't need to get into that. I don't need to open up my personal life on this podcast. That's not what it's for. Suffice it to say, I do plan on updating episodes more frequently. My goal is to try to get one episode released a week. I do not know when I will be able to meet that. I'm hoping by next month it will become a regular thing. Until that point, 
Uh, I will try to update when I can. Um, but I wanted to point out that I wrote an article that was going to be a segment on this show uh, until the uh, Parkland shooting occurred. And I didn't want to make things go a little too long. So I decided to write it out as an article instead. And to be fair, trying to break down a written piece from a magazine such as uh, the online magazine Quillette, which in this case is a right-leaning libertarian publication, it's far too detailed to put on an uh, audio format without turning this into an audio book of several hours long. So I thought, well, perhaps a written article is for, for the best. And that article is available at Don versus Con Media at WordPress.com or dot WordPress.com. And thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon.com forward slash Gateway to the Left. And of course, Gateway to the Left dot WordPress.com for the call notes, which will have all the links available, including the one to my article. Thank you so much for listening. Good night.